You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. The Broncos Camp Podcast, really the last edition of the Broncos Camp Podcast because training camp really is over. It was over for general fan access earlier this week, but this is it. When the Broncos practice again on Wednesday, they will be in regular season mode, so they'll be out of the camp schedule out of a little bit of the grind, it'll be an interesting week because it'll be a short week going into that game against the Rams. I'm Andrew Mason, joined by Ryan Edwards of KOA News Radio. So the last day of training camp, also the final joint practice with the 49ers. And in general, I thought the Broncos wrapped up on a very strong note, a very high note, which they needed to after, frankly, they were flat on Friday, especially on the offensive side. Yeah, significantly better, more intensity, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I kind of made a little bit of a bold prediction that I thought that the Broncos would bounce back not only on offense, but be actually the best offensive unit on the field. And, and I thought that was the case. They took some deep shots. They they seemed to uh, really, really have a great red zone period. Tim Patrick had a couple of beautiful catches in there. Of course, the, the day got started with a Cortland Sutton 50-yard catch over Richard Sherman, one-handed down the right sideline. Sanders later on had a deep post that was beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, they were, they were taking some deep shots. They were going after them. And that's what you wanted to see from the Broncos' offense. You wanted to see them on the attack. You wanted to see, look, this is our home turf. We're going to defend it. And, and I, I got to imagine for Kyle Shannon and the 49ers, this was mostly expected on their end, too. For the other side, Broncos' defense didn't get any takeaways, but they played well. The 49ers mostly had to just sort of accept what they were given. I know we'll get into the move-the-ball stuff here in just a little bit, but overall thoughts, yes, it was a much better day for the offense. Much better day if they adjusted to what was there. Here's what Drew Locke had to say about how the 49ers threw some different looks at them on Friday than they'd seen at any point before and the adjustment that happened on Saturday. Yeah, well, our defense is mainly a three-down defense, you know, three-four. They were a lot of four-down to where, you know, your, your rules change, a lot of different things, um, a lot of, a lot more, a lot more too high instead of single high stuff, um, but then they mixed it in, so just really kind of the exact opposite of what we normally see in practice, where that might have been, you know, a little bit of what, what, what was going on yesterday. You don't know what the Niners are going to play, running our normal plays where we can kind of go back up there, hash things up, and kind of come out with a good plan. It's always interesting. I think most joint practices, Ryan, take on this sort of pattern where the defense jumps on the offense because the defense shows a look that the offense isn't familiar with. And then going from day one to day two, there's a gear shift, there's an adjustment. And we saw from the Broncos offense the ability to take advantage of what the 49ers were doing, capitalize off the extra pressure they were bringing. And Joe Flacco, Drew Locke were able to find open receivers in areas that were vacated because the 49ers brought a little extra in the pass rush. Yeah, you know, and Rich Scangarello actually brought this up yesterday during his his press conference. Three separate times he pointed out that it was a different defensive look than he expected. And he, he went into how, well, you know, you don't really scout these things necessarily, especially for practices. You're utilizing the practices to get better. Maybe you do some scouting, of course, going into the game. But that's all part of this anyways. But I thought that was interesting, too, that three separate times Rich Gangarello during his press conference went out of his way to say, yeah, they did some things de- different defensively that I wasn't really prepared for. And honestly, 
I think long term that's going to be really beneficial for Rich Gangarello, learning how to pivot, learning how to improvise, saying, okay, well, they're doing some things I didn't really expect. I mean, guy, guys like Bill Belichick have made a career out of that, about zigging whenever, when everybody expects them to zag and their halftime adjustments. Rich Gangarello, that's, this is a good example of, hey, I thought I knew the defensive personnel. I thought I knew what they were going to do. They threw something at you, didn't think they were going to, and guess what you did? You responded the very next day. I think that's very valuable for the Broncos. Now what we've then seen is that you can adjust with 22, 21 hours to marinate on it between practices. The question then becomes for Shkangarello, can he adjust with 12 minutes at halftime? And forget about halftime. Sometimes you have to make that adjustment at the end of the first quarter. Can you really make that adjustment on the fly? That is the thing that we're going to learn about him. Of course, he has experience coordinating at the Division II and FCS Division I levels. It's a different animal in the NFL. Whether he can make that leap is going to determine whether he's successful or not. But again, a good job in these practices to adjust. The other thing, part of the adjustment, the vertical passing game. And we've talked about how you have to have the vertical threat, whether it's in the form of Emmanuel Sanders' speed, being the fastest experienced receiver in that room, or Cortland Sutton winning a 50-50 ball down the sideline. The Broncos have to be thrilled on the offensive side from the fact that they got both on Saturday. Oh, 100%. And, and that's the thing. We've seen so much of this offense over the course of training camp sort of taking what they're given. You know, they're, hey, look, they'll find the soft spot in the zone. They'll hit these little slants, stick, uh, out route kind of things. With, and then we saw plenty of that today, too. I mean, with, with the running backs out of the backfield. That's, that's a bit of the bread and butter of this offense. But we saw more use of the tight ends today. Noah Fant got way more involved in the passing game today. He had a nice catch yesterday uh, when he was uh, putting Jaquiski Tart on skates, but today uh, he got involved in the red zone. He got involved when they did move the ball. I mean, he was he was very very much more involved. The tight ends were much more targeted. They seemed to kind of get back into what they want to be. And Rich Gangarello talked about that as well about how look we we want to use the run game to kind of set things up for the deep passes to really move the ball down the field, and that's what they were today. Noah Fant was somebody that John Elway talked about at his press conference after practice. Here's his comment on the first-round pick. He's been good. You know, obviously he's what we thought he would be. I think the, the thing that we're real excited about is the fact that he's a better blocker, and he's physical, and he still can get better there, but very physical, stick his nose in there, and and very strong. So think that he can be a... You know, he can be a guy that can be a wide, be a great downfield threat, but also, you know, be able to block and, and do a good job in the blocking game and in, in the run game, too. So we're excited about Noah. It continues to be fascinating to me, Ryan, that when talking about Noah Fant, everything from the coaches and executives point tends to come back to the blocking. As dynamic a pass catcher as he is, he's not going to play without being a capable run blocker. Now, They've asked some things of him in pass protection going up against Vaughn Miller. That would be tough for anybody. But if you can run block, that's probably enough at this stage of the game because when it's time to throw the ball, you want Noah Fant getting down the seam, getting 15 yards upfield, getting him in space. And John Elway even mentioned stretching the field with Noah Fant, that there are things that he can do in that regard. So maybe they're figuring out what Noah Fant does best at this point, and that is be a tight end who can make plays in space. When you ask him to be in line, you're going to mostly run the ball, 
have him be, be involved in that where he's capable. If they do that, they give him a chance to succeed. And look, Noah Fant needs to be out there, needs to be a frequent target. I think you got to feed Fant. Well, well said. Well, and that's, that comes back to where sometimes with coaching staffs, they get a little bit stubborn with their rookie tight ends. No, they got to be complete tight ends. they got to be able to run and pass block. they got to be great in pass pro. And then we'll work on run, route running. They're learning three, three positions here. I mean, they're learning three different things and, and at a level that they didn't have to do in college. But you're 100% right. If you, if you really want to utilize this guy and have him change the dynamic of your offense, you accept that the pass pro is going to take a little bit of time. Understand that he's already a pretty good run blocker. I think I, I haven't seen anything out there that makes me say otherwise. And we know what he's capable of as a pass catcher, whether it's down the seam, as you point out, stretching the field, or even if it's just a short pass to allow him to turn it upfield. You're going you're gonna to need that. And, and the thing is, is that is something, I mean, if it's part of your arsenal, you make it so that your team... It, doesn't become one-dimensional. It doesn't become where, oh, well, Emmanuel Sanders is the guy we got to worry about the most, or Cortland Sutton is the guy. Now you have multiple guys. It's going to open things up for everybody, and eventually the run, too, which is what they want to be good at. I'm not going to say he's the most indispensable skill position player on offense. You'd probably still say Philip Lindsay. You'd probably mention Emmanuel Sanders, but he's going to be in that conversation. Speaking of Philip Lindsay, very interesting moment at practice Monday. Tempers flared. Bug Howard and Brendan Langley were sent off for apparently throwing punches in the middle of a big scrum that erupted a couple of plays after some verbal jousting after what I thought was a little bit too vigorous of a hit and a tackle on Dave Williams going a little bit past what the, where the whistle would have been. So you have a horde of players on both teams that were at least tangentially involved coming from out of the sideline areas but Philip Lindsay was seen by some reporters to throw a punch in the middle of that and why this comes up Ryan is he already has on his resume an ejection last year in Baltimore for throwing a punch Philip Lindsay's got to be careful because this team absolutely cannot afford to play an extended period of time without him he's got to learn to control the emotions a little bit more than perhaps he has. Now, of course, in the Baltimore game, he tried to couch it as he's punching the ball out, but it doesn't really matter. And I'm, you know, especially after watching a little bit of this, you're kind of inclined to think, okay, well, this look, he's sticking up for his guys. You can sort of appreciate that. But teams know if you have a temper and you could potentially get ejected, and you are, as you pointed out, one of the key cogs of the offense. Look, teams will try to get in your head. It's in their best interest. That Baltimore game, they may have lost it either way. We we don't really know. But the fact is they were playing well with Phillip Lindsay. They they were, if I remember correctly, they were even winning at that point. Uh, it wasn't until after his ejection, then you had Vance Joseph chasing points, uh, which ended up leading to a Baltimore field goal at the end of the, the first half. And, and basically Baltimore really never looked back from there. But that's the thing is, is Phillip Lindsay will get a reputation. And if he has that reputation, teams will look to exploit it. Very true. It'll be part of the scouting report. If you know that you have the potential to get into a guy's head, it's going to be there. They're going to know that. It's just something that he has to be careful with. You appreciate him sticking up for his teammate, but what helps your team more, sticking up for your teammate 
or staying on the field. That's something every guy really has to consider. Uh, you're not going to help the team if you're back in the locker room. We saw that with Aqib Tlaib back in 2017 as well, getting ejected with the whole chain thing with Michael Crabtree. That hurt the Broncos because, remember, it forced Brendan Langley out onto the field at cornerback, and the Raiders, when it mattered, went right at Brendan Langley, who wasn't ready. So I've mentioned Brendan Langley multiple times in this podcast. Also have to mention that he had a really nice catch down the sideline, getting open. It's been a camp that's been a struggle for Brendan Langley moving to wide receiver but sort of indicative of how he maybe is in the soup at this point because he has the nice catch down the sideline, but he also gets tossed from practice. Not a good look for him uh, walking back to the locker room midway through the session. Solid day for Drew Locke. Good day for Joe Flacco. Why that's interesting is you've seen Joe Flacco obviously is going to be the starter, but it was asked of John Elway after practice how Drew Locke's progress might impact their perspective, long-term decision-making, what they're seeking out of this season. But Elway says it's all about winning right now. Here's what he had to say. You know, where we stand, we're not really thinking too far in the future. You know, we've with the last two years that we've had, we're really concentrating and concentrating on what's going on now. And so I think that, uh, you know, we've got to have a good year this year. We've got to win football games this year and get it turned around. And we'll worry about the future as we go forward. But at this point in time, you know, we're thinking about now. No surprise there, because the Broncos have made it clear they're trying to win right now, that this is not a rebuilding project. Now, there may come a point in the season, if it doesn't go the way you want to go, that you need to get Drew Locke out there if he hasn't already come in in the case of an injury to Joe Flacco. But they're all in on trying to get this thing turned around, stop the bleeding from two straight losing seasons, going 11-21 and 21 in that span. But we're not going to know until the end of the season if the wiser course of action was to go all in to try to win this year or if it was to treat it as a building block type year. Wish I had a crystal ball, but I don't. Yeah, well, and, and in this case for the Broncos, we've known this about the way John Elway operates for a while now. The way the Broncos just operate is they plan to win every year. And that has obviously over the last couple of years been a a bit of a detriment for them because they could have taken an opportunity to move away from some of the veterans, try to get younger at positions, work on some of that depth. But now they're where they're at. And I mean, if you listen to John Elway, he's not saying anything that we didn't already know. Their plan is the plan A is Joe Flacco. They're not thinking about plan B because they think Joe Flacco can play still. And you know what? I'm, I'm inclined to agree with him right now. I think Joe Flacco has at least shown us the abilities of what he's been. He's, he's an upgrade of what they've had over the past several years. Nobody's really going to deny that. Is it enough? And that's the question we probably should have asked ourselves more last year when Case Keenum was out on the practice field. It's an upgrade, sure, but is it enough? It clearly wasn't. Time will tell with Joe Flacco. You're 100% right. But when it comes to Drew Locke, they are very, very adamant about not putting him out there anytime soon, in part because they think his development would take a hit. And they also think, like again, simultaneously that Joe Flacco still can play. But if Drew Locke shows enough this summer, maybe you have a Patrick Mahomes type of situation where you could have Joe Flacco play well, but the baton could still be passed on at some point. And in that vein, Joe Flacco's contract, could be very valuable to another team. Could be very valuable to the Broncos as well because there's no guaranteed money left. It's very easy for the Broncos to move on. But because that contract is valuable with no guaranteed money, it means that 
he's potentially tradable rather than simply letting go of him. Great point. On the Monday night real quick, what do you need to see from this team and from some individual players Monday to make it a successful game? Well, we're, we're kind of at the, the crossroads for a lot of these guys. You mentioned Brendan Langley. He, he may already be on life support or done, especially now after he's ejected from practice. But you know, you're, you're going to see guys that are have been bubble guys that really need to kind of cement their status. Malik Reed was able to cement his status through the early preseason. That's why they moved on from Jeff Holland. Guys like Demarcus Walker have looked really good, but today I saw him in, in the uh, – they did the uh, drills with the defensive line, offensive line, kind of phone booth kind of stuff, and Demarcus Walker was not getting much pressure at all. And so he's going to have to go, come out and continue to play well, show why he should make it on the defensive line. But for the most part, I mean, when we're talking about the 53-man roster, I feel like we got 46 guys right now, pretty pretty much intact, maybe even closer to 48. And, and in the end, a- after that, we're sort of just figuring out, okay, who's your punt returner? Still don't know that. Broncos don't really know that. So that's something that definitely needs to be decided. But I want to see more progress from Drew Locke. I mean, so I know I'm kind of scattershot here, but there's still a ton of storylines. For the 53, I don't think there is as many, but there's still plenty of other storylines happening. Drew Locke, though, is going to be one of the, the biggest ones because we've seen steady progress from him. He's ascending. He needs to keep that going. He's ascending. You want to see him not make some of the same mistakes that he made against Seattle. In particular, I want to see him not put his receivers at as great a risk of taking the big hit as he did a couple of times in that game. That's something I'd like to see improve. I saw some good decision-making from him the last couple of days against the 49ers. want to see that carry over. Interesting you mentioned Demarcus Walker because Draymond Jones, Draymond Jones is on the 53 because he's a third-round pick in this year's draft. But Draymond Jones was doing well in those phone booth one-on-one pass rush drills today, and Demarcus Walker was struggling. And that's interesting because... You're probably talking about five defensive linemen being active on game day. Remember, Marcus Walker last year was that sixth defensive lineman, which meant more often than not, he was in sweats on the sideline. So if Draymond Jones pushes Demarcus Walker and pushes past Demarcus Walker. Maybe you're talking about Demarcus having another year where he's in sweats. That is a competition to watch. I want to see how both of them do Monday night on the offensive side, I want to see the Broncos get some consistency in the run game. I want to see another good game from Royce Freeman. I thought Royce Freeman had some nice runs today. Real good vision. I'm seeing him make a few more cuts downfield, read defenders better. That's something I want to see from him going forward on the defensive side. Get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers quarterbacks. And also uh, be around the ball. Make some plays around the ball. At times, you saw some some good work from the pass rush the last couple of days. You also saw Jimmy Garoppolo connecting with Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis in particular downfield. I want to see how they do against them because we're probably not going to see George Kittle. And that's a shame because I want the Broncos to be tested by a tight end. And that test isn't going to happen now in the preseason because George Kittle, with that calf injury, isn't likely to play Monday night. And then against the Rams next week, you're looking at seeing no starters if they continue to follow their preseason protocol. So against opposing tight ends, we're going to be waiting and seeing where things stand. It might be until uh, Trey Burton in week two before we really start finding out what this Broncos D can do in what has long been a trouble spot for them. But at least it's nice 
finishing up this joint practice that the narrative isn't, oh my gosh, they are going to be so bad against tight ends this year. Something that we said, you know, it's been the history of this team. It's not changing. They just got shredded even by guys that were 13 tight ends. That wasn't the case today. The the speed, if you were going to say anything that hurt the Broncos' defense, it was the ball getting out fast, which we already knew that has been historically, if you're going to take away some of that pass rush, take away some of the teeth of the defense, get the ball out fast, and they found the soft spots in the zones, and they got there in a hurry with guys like Pettis and Goodwin who are legit burners, legit speed guys. So that that's one thing, especially as you start to look ahead to, say, Kansas City with Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill, that will be a little bit of a trouble spot for this defense. But then again, it's a trouble spot for a lot of defenses. This is true. Good stuff, Ryan. That's Monday night, 6 p.m., Broncos 49ers. Before we go, let's check out a couple of conversations. First up, Benjamin Albright joins Ryan and yours truly to talk with a star of today's practice with a one-handed grab in the back of the end zone, number 81, former 49er Tim Patrick. Hey, last two days, you were on fire. How did it feel out there? Feel good, man. It's good to make plays out there against a new team, new blood. And uh, like I said, I'm trying to set the tempo out there. I mean, it had to mean a little something extra, didn't it? Oh, yeah. John Lynch was right there on my second one. I had to point at him, let him know real quick. Got nothing but respect for that man, though, definitely. <laughs> Felt a little flat at first with the offense, but you were out there talking, getting them hyped up, yeah. and they, the energy came on a little late. You trying to energize everybody out there? Uh, we was I wouldn't say we was flat. We just had to get going uh, after KJ May started us off with a uh, one-hand catch. Corlin came right back with the one-hand catch over Sherman. Then E came back with a D ball, and after that, the ball just kept rolling. Of the little dust-up that happened, uh, Banks just kind of clearing a little bit. What did you see on that, and uh, did Vic mention that to you later on? We were just having a rap battle. It was nothing serious. We just had a rap battle. They got mad. Our, our, our flows was too hot for them, so so it was just it was just sad. Nothing nothing too serious. Yeah, it seemed like it was like the Michael Jackson video, Beat It. Like, yeah, that's kind of what it looked like. Nothing it was, serious. It was it was all rehearsed. We just did that for you guys. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly, man, exactly. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the things that did come into question a little bit is the intensity yesterday. Did you feel like it was better today for the offense? Yeah, definitely. We just have to make sure we come out like that every day. Uh, against a, a different opponent, we can't come out flat because in a real game, you come out flat, a team could jump on you real quick, and it's going to be hard to overcome. And today, we just proved exactly what we could do on this field. Any corners out there you noticed a little tougher to go up against? Uh, I wouldn't say tougher to go against. It's just either he's short or tall. So <laughs> How do you think this offense is uh, coming along, finding its groove the last few days? I love the way we played today. Um, we took shots. We had our, our short routes. We, we made plays. When we all making plays out there, man, it's fun. It's when we're not making plays. That's when it gets boring. And well, my bad. I'm no, cussing out here. My yeah. bad. Hey. It was, really, it was fun watching practice, man. Good stuff. Appreciate Thanks. it. We'll stick with the wide receiver core. Now going to talk with Nick Williams, battling for that number six wide receiver spot, more importantly, in the mix at punt returner, which is still wide open. Here's my conversation with Nick. It's obviously still wide open, something Atomic Man said. Uh, what do you want to do in that discipline to try to make an impression? Just make good decisions. Um, be, be smart. Um, you know, field the ball get upfield, try and make plays, you know, kind of have the same approach regardless of what the phase is. How is the approach different than what you do on offense as a wide receiver? Uh, I don't think it's that different. It, it's, you know, you treat the phases the same, like, you know, offense, defense, special teams, whether it's kickoff, whether it's punt return, you know, you just you go over your stuff from a preparation standpoint, and then between the whistles you play fast, you make fast decisions, and, you know what I mean, you live with the results. 
I always say, catch the ball before you advance. But on punt returns, it's sometimes a little difficult because you can sometimes see a wide open lane coming. You can see a short punt, but you still have to remember, hey, I got to field this before I can move. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of, of a nuance in terms of you, you have a feeling for which direction the ball is going to be kicked, um, what, the, what the situation is. Is it a pooch? Is it a backed up punt? You kind of can't get a jump on things. And a lot of that is really like the punt returner looks good, but it's the guys up front. They get a good hold up. That's sometimes matched up with a bad kick. And that's when big plays happen. What do you think of how practice went the last couple of days with the Niners? I thought it was pretty good. I thought um, yesterday, you know, we they had a little bit more juice than we did in terms of offense versus their defense. And I, I don't know what happened on this side of the field. Um, but I thought today that we ha- we brought more of an intensity to it um, right right from the get-go, and I thought we executed pretty well. For you personally, what will make a successful game Monday night? Uh, I can't control the results, so just make sure that I'm, I'm on my, you know, my preparation. I know my plays, and I play hard, and if the ball comes your way, that's great. If not, then I'll try and be a blocker for whose ball is coming his direction. Thanks to Ryan, Benjamin, Tim Patrick, Nick Williams, for all of us here on the Broncos Camp Podcast. We'll talk to you after Monday night's game at Broncos Stadium at Mile High. Broncos 49ers preseason game number three for the Broncos and significantly probably their last chance to go against another team's starters with the Rams expected to sit their starters for the game the following Saturday as they have the last couple of years for preseason games. So a big moment for the Broncos. Join us then. Take care.